Returning from Gergesa to the western shore, Jesus found a multitude gathered to receive him, and they greeted him with joy. He remained by the seaside for a time, teaching and healing, and then repaired to the house of Levi Matthew to meet the publicans at the feast. Here, Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, found him. This elder of the Jews came to Jesus in great distress and cast himself at his feet, exclaiming, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Sounds good, doesn't it? That, ladies and gentlemen, is Lumini, an app that you should have already downloaded by now, but I'm giving you another chance. Head over to the App Store, type Luminate World, and stop complaining about poor quality Christian material. We've changed the game. Download it, enjoy it, and tell a friend. This is just the beginning. Like, I agree with you, um, but this is what God has called me to do right now, so I need to keep doing it. And he was like, well, who's going to pay for it? I'm like, well, you know, God will provide. And he kind of got annoyed by that. And he's like, well, you know, I'm paying for it. So, like, what do you mean God's going to provide? And so, like, fine, I'll just stop paying for it then. And I'm like, that's fine. God will provide a different way. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, Dad, God can provide through ravens, and he can provide through you. You get to choose mm. if you want God to provide through you. If you say no, you will no longer be part of the blessing, and God can provide for me through somebody else. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. Every now and then, you sit down with someone that just gets you. Recently, that person for me was Kali Buruchara. Kali is a software engineer by trade, and a good one too. But when you sit down with her to talk about the Bible, her eyes light up in a way that only someone that really has a love for the Word of God can. She's married to David Burachara, who you'll actually hear from this season also, and they have their own podcast that you should definitely check out. It's called Down to Earth with the Burracharas. When I invited Callie on the show, one thing I was stoked for was her love for Nehemiah. We both fell in love with the book and the character while on our own separate journey in Bible schools on other sides of the world, and you're about to see just why. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer, a position of great trust and privilege. 
but upon hearing of the pillaging of Jerusalem and the destruction of the city's walls, he is moved to return home and help his people. The king grants him this request, along with all the materials he will need and a king's permission slip for good measure. And here begins one of the greatest stories simply ever told. Now, one of the reasons that Nehemiah is so near and dear to both Callie's and my heart is a particular personality trait that so often gets dismissed or at the very least gets misunderstood. Nehemiah is stubborn, incredibly stubborn. And so in this episode, we have a simple question to ask that only Nehemiah and scripture can answer. Can, or rather should, a Christian be stubborn? Or as Callie likes to put it, can we have a certain godly obstinance? If you pick it up in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Mm. How messed up you have to be when you're upset, people are being like, how dare you? I hate you <laughs> because you're seeking the well-being of someone. Yeah, so that's that's where they're deeply disturbed. But if you skip down to verse 19 of chapter 2, so mm -hmm. we kind of skipped over Nehemiah surveying the land, and he's like, okay, that gate's broken. That gate, okay, everything's broken. All right, <laughs> everything is broken. And then verse 19, when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, that's their titles, they say it all the time, and Geshem uh, the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Now, pause real quick. We know he's not rebelling against the king. Mm -hmm. Like, he just came from the king. He was talking to him. He got the letters. He got the lumber. Like, he was with the queen. They were hanging out. So he could even be like, I have letters. Like, I have proof mm -hmm. that you're dumb. <laughs> like, right. I have proof. I have proof that this is nonsense. Mm -hmm. But instead, in verse 20 of chapter 2, so I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. One of the most beautiful things here is this, this shows me like the godliness of his obstinance because selfish, very default settings to human nature obstinance is very prideful mm -hmm. and very, I will take every opportunity to humble you and, and elevate myself. Right. And even if I'm not right, I'm gonna do everything I can to make myself look right. But in this situation, Nehemiah literally is right. Mm. Like he's called by God and the king sent him. So he has everything on his side. He has so many things at his disposal to humble them in the dust. <laughs> which I would personally, <laughs> but Nehemiah does not. And instead he's just like, God will prosper us. You're not a part of this. And we're not talking about it anymore. And, and his that's words. It. His, yeah. It's all, of course he has a filter, yeah. but there's not a whole lot of it. <laughs> not very much. It's a very, very thin filter. Yeah. He's like, you're not, you have no place here. You, you're not even, you can't even be buried here. Like, just leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. We're done. You can't even be buried like, You don't have to go there. You could just say, yeah. Uh, this is none of your business. Please leave me alone. But he's like, dude. You don't even belong here. <laughs> it's like, well, okay. Like, all right, 
Okay. So he has this, I guess you could say, it's, it's more than just boldness. He has this confidence mm-hmm. about the calling that God has on his life. Mm-hmm. You know, he sees this as, as inspired. And he, I mean, even when you're in chapter two, you know, he, he's in Jerusalem. He's there for a while. And he's so confident about what God has called him to do that he's not even bouncing these ideas off other people. Oh, no. Yeah. He says, I'm not going to, I wake up in the night. I walk around. I don't even tell like my friends what I'm doing here mm-hmm. because it's going to work and no one is going to deter me from that. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's incredible because for me, when I have what I think are good ideas, I want everybody's feedback. I'm like, you need to know about this and you need to know about this because I want you to tell me it's a good idea. Yeah, I need affirmation. Yeah, I, I want <laughs> I want the affirmation. I want to know that I'm going forward and there's at least five or six people behind me that are like, go, 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 yeah, you go. Can do it. And he's like, I've got this. God's got this. It doesn't even matter what you guys think. Whether you thought it was a good idea, whether you thought it was a bad idea, God put it on my heart. Nothing's going to stop me. Yeah. And again, like going back to that contrast, I just want to keep contrasting like the the prideful obstinance versus the godly obstinance. Because I know we both know those people mm-hmm. that you can't tell them anything. <laughs> and you're like, you're headed for a cliff. And they're like, no, I'm not. And you're like, you are, but okay. <laughs> I'll see you when you fall off again. <laughs> and you're like, that's not really what we're going for, right. right? That's not, the idea isn't that you listen to no one. The idea is that you listen to one person and it's God. And you're like, I am so convinced I have all the affirmation that I need because I got it from one person. It's not myself. Mm. It is the creator of heaven and earth. And I'm sold out on that. And that is sufficient for me. Not because I'm making something up, but because I am actually satisfied in my soul. And that that completely fills up my confidence. Yeah. And I, I would love to have that experience. It's just beautiful. And Nehemiah is just... Cause I don't see him like holding back insults. He's mm-hmm. just like, I just see like Tobiah and Sambla rolling up and just like, ah, you guys are, you guys aren't doing anything. He's just like, what? He just looks at them. You have no memorial in Jerusalem. Anyways, <laughs> as I was saying, so this family is going to start on this gate. <laughs> it's just like, you have no berry here. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the reason this seems strange from the offset that his personality is like this mm is maybe we're just not used to seeing people that are this sure Mm. in their relationship with God. Mm. You know, we're like, no, he put this on my heart. Yeah. And so that's what I'm going to do. Perhaps because, because, you know, you speak to a lot of people like, ah, especially young people. I don't know what God wants me to do with my life yet. Yeah. And I'm still, I'm still figuring that out and that, and that's fine. Right. But when you see someone that knows Mm -hmm. and they're just on this like it's a, it's a one-way street for them and for they're sure. going to get down there as fast as they can. Mm-hmm. It's rare. So it seems like when, when you look at Nehemiah, it's like, well, this, this guy's, he's not like the others. Yeah. I think we're also scared. Like we think about the people who are very sure we label them fanatics mm. or like God told me to say this, like sure he did, buddy. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> yeah. And so, and you know, we do want to be careful there when God tells us something it will never contradict scripture, right? Things mm-hmm. like that. And so we have safeguards to really, know if what God is saying to us is real. Yeah. If he's telling you stuff that is contrary to scripture, it wasn't God. Mm-hmm. And we can rest assured of those things. But there's nothing wrong with being confident. It doesn't make you... Arrogant. Yeah, 
yeah, arrogant, mm-hmm. right? Or more spiritual to be confused. Right. <laughs> or like, yeah, like entertain all these different things. And, but I feel like there is like different generations of Christianity have been like, either we're super confident or we're like, well, I'm very spiritual because I don't know if I'm saved, right? Mm. That makes me spiritual. Like it, it doesn't. Right. <laughs> but Nehemiah instead is just like, I know my heart and yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it. But it's, it is a very spiritually mature thing for him to do. Godly obstinance is a refusal to move from God's will. It doesn't matter who tries to steer you off that given path or who tries to deter you from the mission that God has put on your heart. To be godly obstinate is to be immovable. And of course, this is not to venerate unconverted stubbornness, but Nehemiah demonstrates that it is more than possible for your stubbornness to be used in the right way. And I don't know about you, but for me, that is an incredibly liberating concept. But not everyone is going to understand that. And if you have enemies like Nehemiah did, then you won't just be misunderstood. It'll probably be used against you. What they say is, we think you're rebelling against the king, Mm. which is very different from the actual motivation of their heart. Mm. And sometimes, right, that that rebellion or that pushback, what is said is not what's actually meant. It's not actually the motivation. It could be jealousy. It could be fear. It could be competition, right? There's all these different things that it's very rare that when somebody comes for you and like gives you really harsh feedback, that they're really giving the feedback that's on their heart. Mm. You're like, this feels personal. And you're like, I'm just saying this for your good. You're like, I feel like there's like some murderous thoughts coming (laughs) from you right now. And so even though Nehemiah didn't necessarily get that, I guess, privilege, Mm. that I think that's true for all of us, is we don't get the privilege of people's innermost hearts because we're not God. But still, Nehemiah didn't respond to that. Whether it's because like, I know I'm right, I don't really have time for you, or he wasn't threatened, I don't know. But I think the same thing for all of us, like, we don't have to take the time to psychoanalyze Mm. and be like, what's the real reason? How do I counteract? It's just like, I see that you're just coming for me. I don't have to take care of this. Right. Because he even says, like, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. It's not me against you. It's me and God against you. Good luck. You will lose. Anyways, the gates. (laughs) I will turn my attention to what matters. And it's almost as if it doesn't, like, it doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. what their intentions are anyways. Right. Which I think is quite freeing. Yeah. Because I don't have to, you know, when the person comes, I'm like, whoa, like, calm down, bro. Yeah. I don't actually have to know whether you're being genuine or whether you just don't like me Mm -hmm. because I know why I'm doing this anyways. If they came to him and said, we just don't want you to help Israel. His response yeah. is the same. Yeah. And the freedom, I agree, because even to add on to the freedom part is, that's also nice because then the only thing Nehemiah really needs to think about is, am I doing what God has asked me to do? Mm. And at the end of the day, it's so hard to remember this, but the only person we can control is ourselves. Yeah. You can't control other people's feedback or their critique. So again, like you said, whether they're being sincere or they're using like a masking reason or something, 
it's irrelevant. He just needs to worry about like, okay, so I'm getting feedback. Am I confident I'm doing what God asked me to do? Mm -hmm. I'm confident? All right, we're good. No matter what you say, I'm good. And that allows us to be free to not be like, okay, I need to take in all this feedback and evaluate all of it and see if all of it is valid, see if all of it's sincere. But it's like, man, I, I cleared this with Jesus, so like we're good. Yeah. Uh, which is just a freeing thing because then you're not confined to what people say or mm -hmm. just weighed down by it. And it's just exhausting. So what really just sticks out to me, I mean, throughout the whole book, but especially even here, when it comes to whether he's going to talk to his boss, who could kill him at any moment, <laughs> or whether he's rolling in to do his work and immediately encounters all of this opposition, like this godly obstinance, it's an intentional choice mm -hmm. because he took time to plan out what he was going to ask the king. I don't think that stuff came to him in a moment. Like, oh, wait, I need wood. Like, <laughs> he thought about it. Then I'm going to need letters. There was time that passed between chapter one and chapter two where yep. he prayed and he thought about it. It wasn't a reactionary. It was, this is my commitment. I will wait till my moment. But then when that happened, it says that he was dreadfully afraid. Like, as soon as the king was like, you look kind of sad. What's up? He's like, whoa. What's up? <laughs> I might die, <laughs> which is a valid response. But still, his obstinance overcame his fear, mm -hmm. which shows that it was not an emotional reaction. It was a decision and it was a choice. So godly obstinance, again, is that intentional choice that even in the fear of the king, even in the mocking of the people around you, it does not back down no matter what happens. We all have some hill that we're willing to die on. Something we care enough about that we're at least almost certain that our minds cannot be changed on it. I hope that if there's only one thing like that for you, it's your faith. Our prayer for everyone listening is that God would make his will so clear to you through his word that that too becomes unshakable for you. Faith after all, is not a wishy-washy, half-hearted belief. It's a certainty. It's a willingness to go against everything that your human nature and science and sociology experts and everyone would have to throw at you. It's a decision that we make to stand up, to be firm. Let's see where that gets Nehemiah and where it got Callie. Quick ad break coming up. Don't skip it. I'm Dean Cullinane. And you're listening to Why They Did That. One of our favorite companies to work with is called Types and Symbols. A design company based out of Michigan, their mission is to repackage the message of Christ in the most beautiful and attractive way possible. With that, they are gearing up for the third printing of the best set of books I've personally ever owned. This five book collection is called The Conflict Beautiful. And the only real conflict here is whether you should buy it now or wait until the end of this episode. These five books, along with the Word of God, can completely change your understanding of God, of yourself, and of why we're even here. We like asking why. So why wait?
Something that is perhaps a little more difficult to understand in scripture is when one of the protagonists calls for not just the death, but the eternal damnation of another person. When David wrote songs about that, we called them imprecatory psalms, psalms that invoke judgment and calamity. How do we rectify that? What does it tell us about Nehemiah's character when he says, and I quote, God, listen to my prayer. Make bad things happen to them. Make them ashamed like captives of war. Don't take away their guilt and don't forgive them. Is this stubbornness gone too far? Is this godly obstinance? And what exactly should be our disposition towards people that have done genuinely bad things? When I think about the worst people of history, mm -hmm. which I will not list just in case I miss someone and people get mad at me. <laughs> but when I think about the worst people of history, as awful as they are, which I fully agree with, and as much as I think they deserve very bad things, all of them are still children of God. And that is an uncomfortable truth. Mm -hmm. All of them were knit in their mother's womb by the hands of God. And that is an uncomfortable truth. Mm -hmm. I think about like, just to try to enter into the mind of God, like say you are a parent and you're at home in bed with your spouse and your daughter who's like in her mid-teens, let's say she's 15 in the next room. And in the middle of the night, you hear a commotion in her room and you hear her like cry out. Mm -hmm. And you're a good parent, you go take care of your daughter. So you go in the room and you see a man attacking her. You're like, not in my house, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. So you go and, and you grab him, you throw him against the wall and your daughter's super grateful and you go to give that guy another piece of your mind, he cries out and you hear his voice and you realize it's your son. Mm. But he's high on something and he's out of his mind. That is the heart of God. Mm. Both of those are your children. One of them is not in his right state of mind. One of them has not made good choices and is attacking another of your children, but both of them are your children and both of them you love. Now, should you keep them both in the same room? Probably not. <laughs> are his actions okay? Absolutely not. But that is, that is the torture that it is to be God, mm. that you love both of them. And how do you do that? And I am so grateful for so many reasons that I am not God. Mm. I don't know how he makes those decisions. But I think about too, like, just to see what Jesus did, like he will go so far just to give an excuse to get people into heaven. Mm. He's like, I'm a, I'm a bend, I'm not gonna break, but I'm gonna bend all the rules. I'm gonna be your judge and your representative, <laughs> like and your lawyer and the jury. I'll be the whole thing <laughs> just to get you there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think God understands our anger and God's like, I get it. Like I'm mad too. Mm. Because I think God can be mad at his son attacking his daughter, mm -hmm. just like we could be mad at our son attacking our daughter. Like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> Why are you doing that? Like, we can be mad at our, our children who do silly things, who do terrible things, but you still love them. Mm. And you still want them to be with you, but you also want them to be healthy. Mm -hmm. And in the same contrast, you want them to be without sin. You want them to be, you know, covered with the righteousness of Christ. as angry as Nehemiah is, 
I know that God sees Sambala and Tobiah and is probably like, y'all silly. <laughs> and very annoying sometimes. <laughs> but you're also my son just as much as Nehemiah is. Mm -hmm. Which is definitely not brought out in the book of Nehemiah. But Do you think right. Nehemiah gets that? I don't really see evidence of that <laughs> in this book. <laughs> Doesn't really come out. Has a theme. So probably not. Mm. And also I think that was a a struggle of the children of Israel in general is at different times they were too compromising. We're like, it's cool. We'll just go sleep with, with all the other nations. And then they were too separatist at other times. Like we're mm. better than you. Right. But I mean, at the end of the day, right, God told Abraham, I want you to be a blessing to all the world. Mm. I want you to be a beacon of what I want the whole world to be, not act like you're an elitist society. But they kind of got confused on that a lot of times. So. It bears repeating that Nehemiah dealt with a lot of nonsense. Mm -hmm. So much nonsense. Yeah. So they've tried a lot of things, right? They've laughed at him. They have yelled at him. They've called him names. They've insulted. They've been accused him of like trying to take down the kingdom. And I mean, verse one just listing a bunch of people. They're doing different things. Oh, sorry. Chapter six. But verse two, Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. He's like, I'm on to these dudes. <laughs> <laughs> so I sent messengers to them saying, I think you said this is one of your favorite verses. Yeah, I love this verse. <laughs> he's just like, I, I'm not going. Yeah, I'm I, doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Yeah, he's like, he's essentially saying to them, I appreciate the invitation. <laughs> As a but, hard pass. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm too important. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What I'm doing here is is so much more valuable than what you guys want to talk about. And I'll, I literally, I'm not coming down. Yeah. I'm not even getting off the wall to talk to you. No, I'm not doing it. And so they send verse four, but they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. Mm. I love that. You know, sometimes people ask me questions and I'm like annoyed by the question. I was telling my friend earlier today, I do this thing where I'm just like, what you want to do that? I can do that too. I'll just give you the same answer. Right. I can you want to be like you're faking dumb? I'll fake dumb too. Same answer over and over again. And so then they send an open letter. So that just open letter basically means it's not sealed, so anybody can read it mm -hmm. and nobody would know, which is a really good way, especially in that time, to encourage rumors. Because mm -hmm. the messenger can read it, the messenger's mess like buddies can read it, and then everybody gets to read it. So in verses six and seven, it talks about how. They're like, oh, yeah, it's reported the Jews are planning to rebel and you're going to rebuild the wall so you can be their king. And it's like, okay. And then verse eight is my favorite verse mm -hmm. in the whole entire ch book, actually. So chapter six, verse eight, then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. <laughs> <laughs> For they all were trying to make us afraid. And so, again, just all these different tactics to take down Nehemiah and I admire Nehemiah, and it's really cool just to read this book and be like, yeah, Nehemiah's so cool. He just takes them all down. But imagine like the emotional weight mm. of being Nehemiah. You're physically exhausted because you're building stuff all day. Mm -hmm. You're mentally exhausted because, I mean, I was just a high school English teacher for a while, and you get decision fatigue just doing that. Mm -hmm. Like, can I do this? Sure. What about this? No. What about this? Yeah. Okay. I just... Stop asking me questions. But there's like, do we build this wall? Yeah. How about this gate? You guys do this. Do I build this? Yeah. Use this material. Okay. It's just so many decisions. And then you got people just trying to like 
come for you and you have to be like, is this a good invitation? It's not. Okay, so I do this. I don't have, I don't have time for any of this. I would just, I would just snap, man. (laughs) But Nehemiah is just like reading it. It's like, this is all make-believe. Anyways, I'm going to go back to the wall. And so the, the mental fortitude and again, the godly obstinance of I'm going to build the wall. I have made this choice. I've made this intentional choice and there's nothing you can do to change my mind. Mm-hmm. Like any of, if you look at any of the times, Nehemiah doesn't even like hesitate or consider or like, oh, you almost got me that time. Good try. Good try. That was actually a good one. <laughs> like every single time he's like, but they were trying to do this, but I saw right through it. And I said, no, and you have no remembrance in Jerusalem. <laughs> you don't belong here. I hate you. <laughs> like, Lord, please destroy them and their whole family and may their name never be remembered. <laughs> like he never, he never even hesitates. Mm-hmm. And I just, oh, that godly obstinance just lasts all the way through till seven verse one. I mean, longer, but seven verse one is just, and then the wall was built. Yeah. And that's why. And that's why the wall was built in 52 days. And I think that, you know, we see we see with him, within his personality, uh, a level of disagreeableness mm-hmm. that doesn't oftentimes associate itself. Like it doesn't really go hand in hand with what we would call a good Christianity person. or a good, <laughs> yeah, a good person. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's a struggle for many. Because I think some of us are just more disagreeable by nature. Mm-hmm. And you almost feel like you're wrong for that. Like that's a part of your character that needs to be dissolved. Yeah. Like healed. God God needs to, you know, that's something on your sanctification process where you yeah. need to start agreeing with things more. And I used to battle with that when I mm-hmm. when I first joined the church. Um, because I think I'm a little more disagreeable as a person. That's why I like you. That's what it was. <laughs> but I feel like when you become a Christian, if someone asks you to do something, it's like your Christian obligation to say yes. Right. You know that. If that someone was, asks you to go one mile, go two. Yeah. It's like that. <laughs> that was my that was my mindset. It was like, oh, they said they they need me to do this. Well, I'm a Christian, so yes. And mm-hmm. sometimes I find myself not even really agreeing with it. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, oh, but I'm a Christian, so I have to I have to humble <laughs> my disagreeableness and just you know, Lord, use me. <laughs> and, and and I'm not even fully in there. Yeah. And I think that. What I see in Nehemiah, one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to him as a character is not only did he say no, and not only did he say it often, but you don't even get a hint that he felt bad about it. Oh, there was no feeling bad on Nehemiah's part. He was just like, I'm I'm not doing that. Sorry. Yeah. You know, and I I love that because I'm like, that's, I feel like kind of that's who I am a bit. But then (laughs) you've got this, you've got this Christian controversy. I'm like, well, maybe there is a balance. You know, maybe we don't have to just be pushovers all the time just because we're Christian. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's funny. I so when I did a, a like a missionary training program, we have this week called Discipline Week, mm. where you're supposed to work on these character flaws of yours. Mm. And so the person in charge, you know, like he, he knew us for a long time, so he's like, "Oh, this is where you need to grow." And so I had three assignments, but one of my assignments mm. was for the week I had to agree with what everyone else said. Wow. And I couldn't suggest anything <laughs> at any time. It was That's very painful. Torture. <laughs> it was terrible. And I was like, anything? Like, okay, lust is like illegal or against scripture. I'm like, <sighs> <laughs> it was painful. Mm. So I hear you. Did you make it? 
barely <laughs> a few times. I gave people a side eye and I was like, I agree with you, but they knew I did. So, you know, following the letter of the law, not yeah. the spirit of the law. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely hear that. I think I definitely think there is a balance because we got Nehemiah as a great example. And I don't think Jesus was a pushover. Mm. Like, Jesus came for some Pharisees' throats, honestly, sometimes. You're a whitewashed sepulcher. That's not being a pushover. Mm. <laughs> like, he was, I mean, he was saying it. And he came into the temple and did not, he was not gentle about his feelings <laughs> about what they were doing in there. Right. But he also was gentle in other times, right? And so what I love about Jesus is he is not a formula. Mm. He's not like, oh, in this situation, you always do X, and, and then in this situation, you always do Y. It's like, man, how do you need to know that? It's almost like you need a relationship with God to know what to do. That's mm. so interesting. <laughs> yeah, because we do. We need the Holy Spirit. That's how we need to know to do with different things. Because Nehemiah would be a terrible person to have in other situations. Mm. We're like, okay, too strong, Nehemiah. I need you to turn it all the way down. <laughs> yeah. But he was perfect for what God asked him to do yeah. at that time. So was he like this all the time or was he just like turning it up to level 100 to fulfill this calling? I don't know, because I don't know more about him. But I believe that there is a kind of that godly obstinance, right? Like I still needed that discipline week because, you know, sometimes I disagree just because. Just to see what happens. Just because I want to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and because sometimes I just. Like the way people talk, I'm like, mm, you're annoying. I just want to self-designate as the person to humble you. <laughs> and so then I do that. And then, but the God did not, God did not convict me of that. I took on that job voluntarily. <laughs> so, but God did not give me that in a vision <laughs> or send me a messenger. <laughs> so that's different. Um, but yeah, this, this idea of godly obstinance again, yeah, we've, I know we've touched on it, but it's, it's this idea that God has convinced us of something instead. Mm. Um, Cause I, something that one of my favorite compliments I think I've give, gotten as like a, a speaker, it kind of sounds like an insult, but I take it as a compliment <laughs> <laughs> is I was speaking somewhere on the West coast. And after I spoke this, this woman came up to me and she was like, thank you so much for speaking. And she's like, I love hearing you speak specifically because you've shown me that not all godly women have to be meek and mild. <laughs> and I was like, I'm here for you, girl. <laughs> You're welcome. True. We it's praise true. God. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because I I believe that. And I think I I had that idea growing up where I'm like, I would be a terrible Christian woman. <laughs> like, I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> I have a lot to say. Yeah. I'm very outgoing. Like, ugh. <laughs> I probably I probably shouldn't be a Christian. And I think there's there's probably many on both sides. I think there's probably many young women mm -hmm. who feel very similar and yeah. feel like, well, I, I have, I have strong opinions. This is actually something that, um, that has been said to me. My wife mm. is very opinionated. I love her for that. that right. Um, Good that's, husband. That's, yeah, awesome. that's, that's one of the reasons why like we're <laughs> able to just tackle an issue, mm. share what we think, not be offended by one another's thoughts yeah. and then just work it out. Yeah. It's great. And isn't people, it? <laughs> I, I've had people say to me, yeah, you know, like, Oh, I'm I'm looking for a, a spouse, blah blah blah, and then they'll be like, "How do you navigate being in a relationship with someone that?" And I'm like, "Go on," and, <laughs> and like, then? and they're you know, because your wife has strong opinions. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> like, that's not that. It's, why does that feel foreign? 
And why does that feel bad? Right. And 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 I've, <laughs> I've you know I've had those conversations. That's, I'm, I'm just glad like, they come for you. I'm glad they yeah, come to you. I'm like, dude, that's just like people. <laughs> right. can, that's not the woman. Right. It's people. And I feel like you'll have a lot of young women that feel like, well, because I'm opinionated and because I'm I'm a little bit louder and because I'm not afraid to say what I think. Yeah. I'm. I'm not as good a Christian as I should be. Mm. And on the other end, then maybe you also have young men that are mm -hmm. like, well, I'm quiet and I'm shy and I am quite agreeable. And, and that's so my husband there. I'm not I'm not that manly then. Whom I adore. Yeah. And that's something even Dave and I've talked about, too. Um, like and that's something I also appreciate about David. I'll be like, I'll start to feel bad because I've been told a lot my life that like you're too opinionated. Mm. But David is always he always points it out. He'd be like, I love how opinionated you are. Right. Thank you. <laughs> and David also like he's not David is not an assertive alpha male mm. and he never will be. And I love that about him. Mm -hmm. Like he is so gentle and kind and he is so ridiculously patient, which is what I need <laughs> in a man. <laughs> <But> no. <laughs> That's right. So like he doesn't I don't fulfill the stereotype I've been taught and he doesn't fulfill the stereotype he's been taught. Mm -hmm. But we are perfect for each other. And the Lord has used us so much in each other's lives and other people's lives. And so it's like this idea that we should not be attracted to each other. Mm. I'm like, well, too bad. We are. So right. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and I love him a lot. and He loves me. So we're not doing that. Uh -huh. And I feel like we we limit ourselves. And we also, I'm going to get on a tangent, but oh, well, I'll do it anyways. We, get, we have these things in our culture. Mm-hmm. And then we ascribe them to scripture. Right. As opposed to the other way around. Exactly. So we're like, well, I learned in the church this. It's like, well, you learned you were in a church building and it happened in a church setting, but that truth is not from scripture. Mm. And so like, yes, there is a truth to men and women have different roles. That is true. Mm -hmm. There is some truth to like loving wives, respecting husband. Yeah, there's truth to that. Mm -hmm. But where, like, there is nothing that says women cannot have opinions. Right. There's nothing that says that, like, men sh cannot be patient or, like, men have to be the loudest person in the room or be, like, next level assertive. Mm. That is a cultural expectation mm -hmm. of certain cultures. And so to ascribe those things and to be like, oh, that's what this Bible verse means is a dishonest theology. Um, and it's it just wrecks people's lives because yeah. it makes them feel like they're less than by being their authentic selves mm -hmm. and who Jesus has created them to be. Right. And so then they find the Lord and they feel like part of their spiritual journey is, is unbecoming themselves. Exactly. It's just yeah. becoming like what they think the norm should be. hundred percent. My, uh, my brother Ben is a pastor and he was talking to one of our friends who is very not Christian mm. and very antagonistically not Christian. Sure. And we were talking to him and he said something to the effect of like, you know, I've no, I've no interest because I don't want to be a robot. Mm. And I know his upbringing. And so I'm like, oh, valid. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how Ben put it where he's like, when you become a Christian, you become the most authentic version of yourself. Mm. You become the truest version of yourself. Right. Like you literally become all of the things God created you to be that nobody else could ever be. So you're actually less yourself when yeah. you're not when you're not a Christian. That's a good point. And so to fulfill all the individual parts of your personality, of your character, of your potential, you must become a Christian. Mm. And whether you look like Nehemiah <laughs> or whether you look like Ruth or Boaz, all those are 
authentic expressions of the glory of God. Mm. And all of us are individual expressions of the glory of God, whether you're godly obstinate <laughs> in a very obnoxious way, like Nehemiah and me <laughs> and Dean, <laughs> or, or looks another way, but it's still, it's still an individual expression of the glory of God. So yes, a Christian can be stubborn if they've allowed God to convert their stubbornness. Stubbornness can be used for the glory of God. Rejoice, you stubborn-hearted out there listening to this. But that is the condition, the only condition. Aside from conversion, stubbornness, obstinance are horrible traits. Stubbornness is likened unto witchcraft in Scripture. And yet those of us that have this trait within our personalities will always be plagued by that temptation to be selfishly obstinate, to never back down even when we should, to deny when we really should concede. This is not permission for the worst part of your character to be unshackled. It's an endorsement of the power of God to be given reign over your personality and to use your God-given individuality for His glory. For myself, I, I see that even before I was a Christian, uh, I just always wanted to fight back. Mm. Whether it's my brothers and just like, oh, I want this. No, I want that. <laughs> and I only want it because you want it. <laughs> and I'm going to take it from you. <laughs> and Or it's just fighting with my classmates of just like, well, I think this. I'm like, well, I think you're wrong. I don't actually think you're wrong. I just want to fight because mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It's just in my blood or something. <laughs> I just want to fight about something. And part of it comes, I think, just from a lot of like, anger or you just want to be distracted by stuff like because mm -hmm. fighting can be a distraction from your own trauma or suffering mm -hmm. of like I just want to I want to make you miserable because like I'm miserable and so just starting fights but I, I noticed the the stubbornness it's weird when you become a Christian your character doesn't like magically change mm -hmm. very big disappointment gonna Tell be honest very big disappointment but anyways so when I became a Christian I was still stubborn and I'm still stubborn but I noticed that sometimes it came in handy mm. so I grew up going to Christian schools and I come from a Christian home but when I became a Christian I decided I wanted to go to a non-Christian school for the sake of evangelism like, I want to go to a public college so I can tell my classmates about Jesus, mm. which was not according to my parents' plans because <laughs> they're like, you need to go to college and find a husband. Right. I'm like, well, or I can tell people about Jesus. <laughs> also, I'm not going to go straight to college. I'm actually going to go to a non-accredited random missionary school mm. and pay $5,000 for that, which will get me no certificate of any kind. How's that sound, <laughs> mom and dad? <laughs> they were like, uh, hard No. <laughs> And, you know, I'm, I'm the oldest child. Mm -hmm. I am the law-abiding citizen. And that was terrifying mm -hmm. to be like, I really feel like God is calling me to this. But my parents, who I love and I do respect, are saying, like, hard no. Mm -hmm. But at that time, like, I'm like, you know, I wasn't fearing for my life like Nehemiah. But, like, dreadfully afraid about covers it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But... I felt, I was like, I can't disobey what God has asked me to do. Right. And so I was obstinate. 
<laughs> and I was like, oh, I hear you, mom and dad, but I'm going to do it anyways. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> and then I did it. <laughs> and I remember they were very surprised. Like, what? Our oldest child who like usually follows the rules? <laughs> That's so weird. I literally had like almost the exact same experience. Oh, really? Yeah, I was. Are you the oldest too? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's um, hard out here. Right. <laughs> and so I, I remember going to my parents. This is when I decided to get baptized. Mm. Now, I just got I just got baptized too. Yeah, so we. I, I just well, got, Um, I just started going to church. I grew up Catholic, but okay. that didn't do anything. It wasn't like real Catholic. Right. And um, <laughs> my my mom also grew up in a, uh, a, a more strict Catholic household than the one she made. Oh, okay. And so we used to go to church a lot when I was a kid, and then we moved to the UK and just stopped because my grandparents weren't around anymore to enforce it. That's valid. Um, but she still considered herself Catholic. That was mm. part of her identity. And I remember going home, and I'd been I'd been sneaking off to church because I didn't want her to know, and I had that kind of like That's undercover, so funny. <laughs> undercover vibe. <laughs> and then eventually I came to her and I was like, um, I'm going to get baptized. And she looked at me like dead in the eye and she said, no, you're not. Oh, no. And I was, I was puzzled because I was like, I didn't ask a question. <laughs> that wasn't a question, mom. <laughs> you know, it was just, <laughs> I'm just telling you what I'm going to do. I said, no, I am. And she said, you're not getting baptized. You're Catholic and you're going to stay Catholic. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, this is not, I expected, you know, a degree of rejection. But I didn't expect. I was nineteen at the time. Were you expecting like more logic to yeah, it? Yeah, I was like, we've we've moved <laughs> past this stage where you just tell me that I can't make a personal mm. decision. Um, and I think that was one of the first times when I realized that I'm quite disagreeable and that I'm willing to be disagreeable even to my parents mm. if it means following the will of God for my life. Mm. But you see how it felt different, right? Mm. If it feels different than picking a fight with your friend, right? Like there's a different kind of like, it's scary, but it also like, I don't know, it feels better. Yeah, because you know that you're doing the right it thing. It feels safe. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, I'm not doing this to mess with you. You're just like, wow, I'm going to do this anyways. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard for you, but I'm going to do it. Okay. And then you do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I did it. And then I proceeded to go to public university and did that for a while as well. And then I also... <laughs> went and ran mission trips all over the world instead of doing other things and making money. And But something else that happened too, where again, just this, yeah, obstinance, we're just learning to go against. And what's nice about godly obstinance too, is God gives you ways to argue for the case. Mm. Like it's not you coming up with arguments on the fly. Like it's really, what is it in Luke? Luke 10, where like he will give you the words to say in the moment, because I'm like, I got nothing to say. And Jesus is like, here you go. I'm like, thank you so much. <laughs> so I had this conversation with my dad. I'm pretty sure he's okay with me saying that. Sorry, Dad, if you're not okay with me saying this. I love you so much. So my my dad was funding a lot of my travel where I was doing a bunch of mission trips. Because again, I don't have a job. I'm like 20. <laughs> and I just finished, you know, I'm still in college and I was traveling abroad a lot and he he sat me down once and he was kind of saying like, you need to relax with the mission trips and like go get a real job, mm. which I'm like, you know, valid. And my dad, I know where my dad's coming from. Like my dad came from a super bad home. Mm. He was very poor and everything he has, like he worked for and yeah. Jesus gave him, yes, but like he worked for. Mm. And so 
I know he's like, I want you to take care of yourself. And like, I'll take care of you because I love you, but also, you know, I'm not gonna raise any freeloader. So right. <laughs> you need to get yourself a job and go do stuff. And I'm like, I agree with you, um, but this is what God has called me to do right now. So I need to keep doing it. And he was like, well, who's gonna pay for it? I'm like, well, you know, God will provide. And he kind of got annoyed by that. And he's like, well, you know, I'm paying for it. So like, what do you mean God's gonna provide? And so like, fine, I'll just stop paying for it then. And I'm like, that's fine. God will provide a different way. Mm. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, dad, God can provide through ravens and he can provide through you. You get to choose mm. if you want God to provide through you. If you say no, you will no longer be part of the blessing and God can provide for me through somebody else. Wow. And my dad was like, it's annoying how much you study the Bible now. <laughs> that's a valid point. And my, da my dad's a God-fearing man, so he's mm -hmm. like, that's valid, I'll keep paying for it. Wow. <laughs> so, like, that is a godly obstinance, mm -hmm. right? I'm like, I can't say no to the calling God has on my life. Right. I wasn't trying to disrespect my dad. And I also knew I could talk to him that way because I knew he respected scripture. Mm. And I knew he loved me and like, I wouldn't always talk that way to anyone. <laughs> but that is, yeah, again, that that level of like, okay, I was just trying to be careful. Um, because there's been, there's still other times where it's not like I'm like cured of regular obstinance. So I'm like, I'm no longer regularly stubborn. Ask David, I'm regularly stubborn <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but it is just this different, I feel like also, like godly obstinance has a level of like, it's almost like laced with, I don't know if fear's the right word, but kind of like a hesitance of that helps you depend on the Lord versus mm. like, I'm a hundred percent sure, like I don't need to question anything sure. of like, it's even like talking to my dad. I'm like, Jesus helped me to be clear, but respectful. Mm. Versus like, I'm gonna go in here and put Tony Williams in his place. <laughs> like, I'm not I'm not trying to be rude. Like I'm I'm trying to be true to God's calling on my life, but also be respectful to my dad, but also not compromise either one of those. Mm. And there's a level of humility and I think trepidation and, and fear of trying to balance those things, mm -hmm. you know, with God. So there's that. You know, sometimes I think about all the the backlash Nehemiah got is there have been times in my life too where a few years ago I got invited to join a ministry. I got invited to do two ministries at the same time and I couldn't do both just because mm -hmm. that's not how time works. And so I didn't really know which one to do. One was a very established ministry. One was just starting out. Mm -hmm. And so I asked like, I don't know, like 10, 15 people, like all the mentors from like my whole life. Mm -hmm. I called all of them and a hundred percent of them told me to do the established ministry mm -hmm. for different reasons, but basically all of them told me to do that. Mm -hmm. But at the end, I still was convicted to do the new ministry mm -hmm. that had no funding, no clear schedules, no security, no safety, <laughs> so much stress. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus, I feel like <laughs> this is like contradicting all of this wisdom that you've mm -hmm. given me. And these aren't, this isn't like, Sanbalat and Tobiah coming from my throat. Right. These are my friends who love me. These are people who study the Bible. These are people who are who pray for me and are godly. But again, like that's not what God is telling me. God is, there are certain times where, you know, God is clear when he speaks. And he was clearly telling me to do option B. And so even though like some of my mentors were like calling me every day, like, you should do option A, Kelly. You better do option A. 
And like, I am conviction to do option B. They're like, I think you're just confused. You need to do option A. <laughs> and I did option B and it was the right decision in hindsight, you know? Mm-hmm. But it, it's that godly, I'm just gonna keep saying it, man, until people have dreams about it. Godly abstinence <laughs> of, I'm gonna make this intentional choice and I'm not gonna back down even if all my godly friends, even if everyone around me is like, this is what you should do. Um, and even as I say that to like, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying not to be the queen of disclaimers right now, but like, that also sounds like it contradicts the, the multitude of, it also sounds like it contradicts the multitude of counselors, mm, yeah. right? And I think both those things can be held in tension because sometimes the counselors are right and sometimes the counselors are wrong but it goes back to like god is clear when he speaks because if god hadn't made option b clear to me i would have done option a sure. because that's what the counselors had said mm-hmm. but god made himself clear and i would have been being dishonest to myself i was like well majority rules <laughs> like well god rules that hath an ear, let him hear. And you just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more or harken back to a previous episode, you can find us now at wtdtpodcast.com. If you've been moved by this ministry through this episode or others, and you'd like to support us financially, you can become a patron. And if you do, you'll get early access to our episodes, discounts on our store, and access to our other podcasts a 40-day devotional podcast designed to kickstart your walk with God. We're calling it WTDT40. If this sounds like something you're interested in or you just want to support in general, visit patreon.com forward slash WTDT to find out more. As always, please do subscribe, leave us a review, and follow our social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, and now TikTok too. We'll see you on the next episode. Once again... I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That.